Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. Imperialism really, really, really did natives and black people around the world a hard one. Colonialism was not an innocuous exercise. It has left generations of black people, generations of natives, displaced, dislodged, and incapable of starting a life of building a foundation that can sustain generational sustainability. That is to say, not living in poverty, not being the subject of the continuous pillage of what is not technically colonialism, but has the same effect, a globalized market capitalism, right? It has the same effect. Black people are trying to, and natives are trying to, compete in an economy that rewards those that already have over those who don't have. Communities and social fabrics have been torn apart by that. Genocide after genocide has left Africans completely, completely ravaged. Can reparations fix that historic legacy? Even if it can't, is it morally due to those that have been on the receiving end of it? And if so, how can it be brought about? Countries in the islands, in the Barbados, have continuously called for that. In fact, they have ongoing conversations to that effect. And it's not new. It's not new conversations, right? Namibia to Germany has made the same demands and claims. In fact, in Namibia, they were so precise with it, they had a figure in mind. They could calculate these things, uh, pertaining, of course, to the genocide of the Hereros by the Germans. But the real question is, how should we go about it? The University of the West Indies, the Economic, Social, and Cultural Council of the African Union, as well as the Barbados government, Groundmaking Society, Open Society, you know about them, right? Uh, the Open Society Foundation and the Caribbean Pan-African Network, they've teamed up and are making these calls for historical crimes against humanity, specifically against natives. Joining me to have this conversation is Joanna LeBlanc, who is a partner at Adomi Advisory Group, and a former staffer at the United States Congress. Uh, Joanna, thank you so much for your time. This, this, uh, this is a really, very important conversation. I want to perhaps start here. The conversation about reparations is not a new one. Why has it never really sustained and built momentum to turn into action? Good afternoon, um, Oliver. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, well, when it comes to reparations in the context of America in particular, um, it has come into action, right? In, in America, there's been uh, reparations for the Native Americans, which received billions of dollars uh, for various benefits and programs for being forcibly exiled from their lands. For the Japanese Americans, $1.5 billion was paid to those who were interned during World War II, right? And, and in addition to that, you had the Marshall Plan, right? And so on and so on, and even with West Germany, uh, paid um, $3.4 billion to Dutch marks for the Holocaust survivors. The issue is that when it comes to people of African descent, there's a resistance for reparations. Um, we saw that um, even in South Africa, you have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which essentially acknowledged the, the past, right? Um, acknowledge the past, 
discuss the, yeah. what, what, what transpired, but the justice element has yet to be realized in South Africa, right? And it's the same thing here in, in America. We've, for the example, the United States Congress um, have introduced legislation to study the effects of, of, of slavery, right? And when we have enormous um, research documents by academic institutions across this nation, they already have the information, right? So, so there's this resistance when it comes to people of color um, as if we're not worthy of reparations. We're not worthy of being, not, not being paid just for being paid. We're not worthy of being compensated for the atrocities that our bodies have had to undergo here in this country and all across the world. Yeah, I, 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 I can't resist but help to bring about the Afro-pessimist view. And that is to say that perhaps the global north, colonial imperialists, do not see black Africans as human and therefore worth reparating. Is that in part why there's been sustained resistance? I mean, that is certainly an, an argument to be made, because if you look at all of the other groups that I mentioned earlier, in particular in the United States, that have received reparations, and there wasn't much um, resistance for, for, for reparations for those groups. Uh, but, but I think is, you know, and I think there's more than enough evidence to show this, that um, when it comes to Black bodies, uh, we're just not valued as much as um, white bodies, um, not just in America, but all, all across all across the world, uh, which is why I think that for people of color, people people of African descent, rather, because I know my, I'm talking to a South African audience, people of color has a different meaning than people of color here in America. Uh, but but in any event, I think there needs to be this continued momentum with people of African descent all over the world making the same demands. For example, Francophone Africa making the demands to France, right? Including the Republic of Haiti, right? Um, certain countries in Africa making the demands to, to Portugal, to, um, to, to other um, colonial powers. And I think collectively, if we, if we as people of African descent come together and continue to apply the pressure, and there's a very well-organized movement uh, we 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 can get um, reparations, but it cannot be individual groups isolated. For example, here in America, people of African descent only make up thirteen percent of the population, uh, and the population in America is about three hundred and sixty-five million. So we're, we're we're not a big group in comparison to the to the larger population. So we need to forge alliance with um, our counterparts across the world and in Africa in particular with a population of 1.4 billion people um, in, in, in the Caribbean and, and, and so on. Um, so, so, so there needs to be that, that cohesive um, um, call for, for reparations by people of African descent globally, which we have seen at the, at the um, United Nations. Um, there's, 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 a, there's a commission within the UN that, that, that is responsible uh, for for, for, for reparations. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. And because some have argued that um, the UN, which is supposed to be the watchdog, um, you know, further perpetuates the atrocities against black people and black countries 
um, all around the world. When you look at France, for example, who is a member of the UN Security Council, have committed um, grave atrocities in Francophone Africa, uh, but yet continues um, to have membership um, within an organization that's supposed to be the watchdog of the world to make sure that the human rights are properly um, uh, enforced and, 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 and people are treated with dignity in accordance to international law. How do we achieve, and, and that is to say, the, the, the global black community, how do we achieve that critical uh, collective action index that you speak of, that in our, global, in our collective global uh, mobilization for reparations will bring it about? I can think of moments where there seems to have been uh, global solidarity amongst blacks. And for a moment, uh, during the uh, Black Lives Matter critical movement, uh, especially during the the the, 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 the uprising and and the and the and the protests that were brought about uh, during the de- the death of George Floyd, for instance, or the globalized collective action support there was to a great extent for Rhodes Must Fall, uh, a protest that expanded, started in Cape Town, but found its way all the way into Oxford. Those moments seem to have been opportunities to bring about that collective action, uh, mobilization and galvanization, but not sustained. How do we bring about a sustained uh, collective action mobilization? You know, and that 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 is the the hard part, right? Getting everyone on the same page to to make the same demands. Uh, but 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 I see there's there's progress. I think that we're understanding more and more the interconnectedness of us all in terms of people of African descent. Because I think one thing that COVID taught us was that. Um, regardless of where you are geographically located, we are all connected because we saw how one impacted person, infected person rather, all the way in Wuhan, China, led to the collapse of the global economy, led to the death of millions of people, in particular here in America and obviously in South Africa, thousands of people died in South Africa. Um, so, so I think um, time is, is showing us, is, is reminding us again that um, that we're interconnected, but the unfortunate reality is that um, the kind of reparations that I think um, Black people in America may may want may not be the same form of reparation that let's say folks in South Africa may want, right? So so it's it's understanding the differences in the kind of compensation that we deserve as a people for the atrocities that were committed against our bodies, our people, our livelihood, our dignity. Um, right, but at the same token, understanding the global concept of reparations and forging alliances um, to make sure that it happens. But you're going to need a, you're going to need a leader, right? You're going to need someone to lead that movement, that global movement. Um, and there there are some um, that 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 are that are out there, but I think it needs to it needs to be a continuous um, conversation, um, and it needs to be something that um, that is at the forefront of the table when candidates are running for office. We need to make sure that it's on their agenda. Uh, what is their position around reparations? Are we asking them these tough questions when, when they're running for the presidency or, or for parliament, right? Because all of that makes a difference. Again, like I said earlier, in the context of America, um, there's legislation that's been introduced, numerous, every Congress, there's a legislation about reparations, but it hasn't gone anywhere because, again, there's that resistance when it comes to compensating Black people in this country. And partly it's because uh, white folks in this country believe that they're far removed from it. They're, they're, they're not the ones who committed 
um, um, who, who owns enslaved people. So why should they pay um, for, um, why should they pay for, 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 for the atrocities that, that were committed by previous generations? Um, and, and again, I, and beyond that, there's just that resistance um, because black bodies are not necessarily valued um, in the global north nor in the global south, unfortunately. And speaking about the mode of reparation, that's that's an important conversation. And, and that speaks to the question around substantive reparations and not just cosmetic reparations, right? Um, let's say, for instance, Mozambique approaches Portugal and say, hey, reparate us, right? Restore us, pay us for uh, the damage that uh, your attacks have done on our people. Portugal may say, actually, you know what? You're right. Let's do that. But they may only say that to pass the moral test and to buy face, right? That's to say, cosmetically make it seem like they're doing right uh, by those that they have harmed uh, and continue to benefit from that harm. But they may not reparate them substantively that is to say, pay them what they're due. How do we determine what is due? Because it's not like there's a neat formula out there that you can just, uh, you know, drop on a calculator and, and, and get a figure. It, 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 it really is painstaking negotiating happening to be able to determine what is due. Absolutely. Um, so let's look at the United States, for example. So for 400 years, when... People of color, African Americans, were enslaved. White people in this country were building wealth on the back of black people. While black people were not allowed to have access to higher education, they were pursuing higher education, getting master's degrees, bachelor's degrees, and so on. Uh, when black people were not able to hold certain jobs, they had access to those jobs. When black people were not able to um, um, buy property, they were buying property, they were building wealth. So as a result, today, right, the average white family has roughly 10 times the amount of wealth as the average black family. White graduates have over seven times more wealth than black gra graduates. So if you really want to make um, the notion of American dream um, equitable, you have to restore what was denied to Black people, right? You, we have to go back and look at generations, right? What, what were those folks deprived of? And there has to be a formula, and I don't have the formula right off the top of my head, and it's going to be complicated, but it is something that, that is required. But when it comes to, to reparations, what, what does it look like? Do we give people uh, a check, right? Uh, me personally, I argue against that um, because we see that um, people who are not used to having access to a whole lot of resources, when they get it, they squander it. We see how uh, lottery winners go broke <laughs> within, um, within a couple of years, right? We see how um, famous basketball players um, who make enormous amounts of money and go broke after several years um, once they have retired because they had they had historically not had access to that kind of wealth. So for me, I think that it should come in the form of but land. Is, is, is that argument sustained by the data? If we use something entirely unrelated and parenthetical, 
it seems to be that working class families do put money to good use uh, when when have been given that sort of breathing space. Uh, an example I can think of were the stimulus checks that Joe Biden's administration made available uh, to working class Americans and unemployed Americans uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, that by and large, as the data tells us, was used on spending on education, on health care, uh, on food, groceries and rent. Um, for the most part, it's what they uh, what they describe as productive spending, instead of largely consumpt uh, uh, you know consumptive spending. Um, is that argument that you make about the potential of the money being squandered if it's just a check given to every black person, one that is sustained by the data? Well, I, I, I guess it depends on what data you're looking at, right? Because um, I think data can be very. Um, um, Depending on the argument that you're trying to make, you can make the, the, the data fit. But what I will say is during COVID-19, um, you had a lot of people who were unemployed. So they needed to spend those hard-earned, those um, stimulus checks to make sure they have a roof over their head because they had no income coming in from their jobs. Um, and particularly Black people were overwhelmingly uh, laid off from their positions or even fired in some cases, right? Uh, because um, Black people overwhelmingly represented the sector's um, that 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 um, the sectors that require them to go into work work every day, um, low entry level positions. Um, some some would say so. Yeah. So those funds were used because it was a, a situation where you you had to for for your for your survival. There was no additional income coming in. So um, so um, and perhaps you know we could we could look at the data. We could we could assess it. Uh, but but I personally think that. Um, in a form of land, in the form of um, education, like for example, here in America, um, people of African descent are um, disproportionately impacted by the student debt crisis. Yeah, right. And that is because families don't have necessarily have the resources to uh, pay for for their children's so education. My next question was going years. to be, is that the sort of reparations that you uh, think would be befitting? That is to say, a guarantee uh, for all uh, black students in America who want to go to university, for instance, that that would be uh, prepaid for, uh, or that if you're black in America today and you live with student debt, that that would be forgiven. Is that the sort of reparations that you think will be substantive uh, in progressing uh, black people by and large? Absolutely. I, I think these, that's that's one example, uh, because if you remove the debt burden from um, some of these um, graduates, um, you will open up the economy and, 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 and they, they will have additional money to spend um, to buy homes, to build a family. Because right now what we're seeing is that um, young people, college graduates and those with even advanced degrees are holding off on purchasing homes on getting married because of the, bird, the, the the debt crisis. And when you look at the student debt crisis and you compare it with their white counterparts, it, it's, it's incredibly disproportionate. So I think addressing the student debt crisis through reparations is a must in this country um, for, for people of, of, of African descent. Give us a call if you want to be a part of this conversation, 86 It's 86 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 Education is one example. How do you institutionalize 
reparations uh, to be to the benefit of communities by and large? Um, do you set up a trust? Do you make sure that every institution um, has some sort of benefit for black people that require on those organizations and institutions for their livelihoods? I don't know. For instance, making sure that every family for a certain period has, I don't know, grocery vouchers. Is, is, is that one way of institutionalizing it to make sure that it's spent safely, cautiously uh, and productive? Yeah, I think there, there there are so many ways to look at it, right? You know, when you when you apply um, to go to college, um, you know, they, they have the data on on the different groups that that are that that are that are admitted. Um, so so it would it would depend on how the government, because this would obviously be a government ran program. Um, if you're looking at, for example, the student addressing the student debt crisis, it will be done through the Department of Education. The Department of Education will have. Um, certain information on like your social security number and and, and, and your race and, and that will determine um, you know who get who gets what but obviously um, that would not happen without without litigation because then you have the argument of treating one group different from another group so white white college students and white families will be suing the United States government you know the Asian and, and other groups um, so so it, it gets it gets really tough right to um, to justify it from, from from a legal perspective, but it is not to say that it is not it, it can't be done. I think if there is a political will, um, and, and I think beyond the political will and beyond the legal avenue, there needs to be a, a conscious um, shifting that needs to take place all over the world. And I think this is happening right now. When you look at what's happening in um, what happened in, in Burkina Faso, what happened in Niger. Depending on where you are uh, politically, I think there are people who are saying that wow, like these folks were were, were being exploited by, by France, and 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 they they may be within their rights um, to 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 find some kind of redress. So I think there is some level of consciousness that is taking place across the world because of social media, um, because of again how interconnected that we are. But that needs to continue because if you have that conscious shift, um, then society would be more. Um, more willing to say, uh, perhaps this is the right direction to go, considering the atrocities that were imposed on people of African descent here in this country and across the world. Yeah, let's take some calls uh, on zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. You can be a part of this conversation. Um, uh, yeah, what's your comment or your question? Let's go to uh, Tepo out in Northcliffe. Tepo, good evening. Good evening, man. Um, I just want to say that. When discussing things like uh, reparations, you know, we all always need to be in a, a mature in, a, in our approach. You can't be arguing like someone that's in high school and say, oh, no, black people are not used to having money. So when you give them money, they're going to squander it. I mean, the lady, you, you, you are on the line to give an expert opinion, not to argue like you're in high school. You can't have a blanket approach and say, based on X number of basketball players or baseball players that go broke after a long time, after after playing, suddenly they all go broke. I mean, look at the data. You argue based on data. The gentleman in the studio said to you, based on data, what are you based on? And your answer was, well, in my personal opinion, personal opinion is not data. So we need well-researched opinions if you're going to come on a platform, to the national platform and give opinion, right? Black people need to be compensated, compensated monetary-wise. You can't come on a platform like this and tell us that, oh, no, in my personal opinion, they're going to waste okay, money. Okay, cool. So Tepo, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate it. Tepo calling us from Northcliffe. Nonde in Cape Town. Nonde, good evening. 
Oliver, quick, quick, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, very briefly. Yeah, quick, quick one. Um, I was in your country in 1979, quite some time ago. You were 200 million. Now I was surprised that you are 365. Anyway, I would think the blacks in America are better placed to lead the campaign for reparation. Okay? Why is that? Because, because if I compare those blacks, no matter what other things can be said, but they are highly edu- educated, all right? And their skill, whether it's engineering or whatever fields, I think in the whole world, they are to lead that campaign. And your guess is right. They, they can start with paying off student debt. Why not, why not part- a country like Nigeria? They have the most university graduates in the world of any black, a country with black people. Maybe Adrian, you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, when I look at America, those blacks, right, are capable of doing almost any profession in the entire world. I think okay. to me they must lead that discourse. Okay, thanks a lot for your call, Nande. Really, really do <laughs> appreciate you. it. Nande calling us there from Cape Town. Jana, perhaps to ask this, has very specifically to, to the United States context, has the Black Lives Matter critical mass been able to convert into a sustained conversation on reparations? We know that questions around reparations have been posed towards Joe Biden, for instance, and he has uh, seemingly uh, nudged that he thinks it's 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 an important conversation uh, to have. And that conversation of question was also posed to Kamala Harris, and she was a lot more cautious in her response. Nanda uh, seems to think that. America could be the catalyst, uh, that uh, black people living in America could be the catalyst to bring about a global critical mass around reparations. What's your reading of that? Uh, I think that when it comes to reparations, it's just been conversation. Nothing more and nothing um, less. Again, we've had a number of legislation introduced every Congress, the 118th Congress, the 119th, 17th Congress, 116th Congress, 115th Congress, and so on and so on, uh, and nothing has been done. It's always um, here's legislation. Let's study the effects of of, of slavery um, in this country, and, and nothing happens. Um, so I think it's time for us to go beyond that because I I do believe um, that reparations is needed. Um, you know, we can argue and disagree on the forms of reparations that people of color, um, black people in America, should receive. I think that um, there's a, a lot of different opinions. Uh, and my opinion remains that I think it's like, for example, you give somebody land who's never had land, who's never, um, you, you know, worked land before. You give them um, this land and, and you don't even give them the training on how to um, benefit from the land economically, then what's going to happen, right? Um, someone who's never dealt with, with this before, right? So, um, so in, in my opinion, um, there needs to be um, 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 reparations in a way that that will bring about economic prosperity to people of African descent here in America, um, not just give you, give you a, a check and then, um, and the check is not then properly invested into perhaps buying property uh, buying things that will actually build yeah. you up. Because the whole purpose is to make you whole again. 
um, because you were because you, you, you because you you, you 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 because of the atrocities that that occurred. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, Jana LeBlanc. Really, really do appreciate it. Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. Monday to Thursdays, 10 p.m.